wonderful. So Proverbs 25, that's where we were weeks ago. It's been a few weeks since we've been there. Obviously last week, um, kind of in Wednesday night, kind of deviating a little bit, looking at what scripture would say about the things that we may, that we see happening in the world and how we are to view them through scripture. So I want to get back into Proverbs this morning, chapter 25. We made it down through verse 13 several weeks ago. And this morning, you're not going to believe it, but I actually finished the chapter. Um, so we'll see what happens. Y'all are a little harder because y'all cut up. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. We'll read down all the way through the end. I'll pray and then we'll dive in. So if you're with me, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 14, please say amen. amen. He says here, whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Have you found honey? Eat as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he be weary of you and hate you. <laughs> amen. No, I'm reading the next verse. I'm moving on. Y'all are saying amen. No, I'm saying amen. Verse 18. <laughs> Yeah, see, I already see how this is going. Um, you know verse 17 is true based on y'all's response. All right. A man who bears false witness, verse 18, against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. Um, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Like one who takes away his garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance, which sets us up for verse 24 again. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. We've seen that one over and over and over, so I'll take it a little lighter today when I get there. Verse 25, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. It is not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. And whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So, Father, we thank you this morning for the word that you've given. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as you have been so faithful to, Lord God, and that you would give us all that we need. Lord, I pray that we would be able to focus on what you would say, that you would take away anything that would hinder, whether in this room or out. Uh, Lord God, that you would allow us to see the scripture for what it is, Lord, looking at how it will impact and change us, not who we think it's actually for. But let us be diligent to allow it to work in our own hearts. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, let's say together. Amen. Amen. So, a wonderful place in Scripture. You remember weeks ago, I told you as we began chapter 25, 
that chapter 25 begins a new section that takes us through chapter 29 of Proverbs that were not originally published by Solomon. They were written as his private Proverbs. Maybe he shared them with his children, um, but he never seemed to intend for them to be given to us. And chapter 25, verse 1 tells us that Hezekiah's men actually found these in the archive is what it's alluding to. And they said, I mean, these are great. And they published them, which I think is beautiful in a sense, because it reminds us that even our lives are not our own. And we don't, we don't have authority over our own lives. We, we are not the creator. We're the thing created. Amen. So therefore we belong to the Lord to glorify the Lord and to, for his own pleasure. And this is, you know, I think one of the hardest things for believers, um, for all of us is to surrender to that and realize that I belong to him and it's, it's not about what I want. And as difficult as that is, that's where we need to come because I think life becomes easier then because it's easier for me to accept the things that are going on around me to accept the season that I may be in from season to season to, and, and check this out, to try to see what God is doing as opposed to trying to figure out what I want to do and how I want to do it. I, to be able to back up and say, Lord, what are you doing? And, and to be able to ask God to give you eyes for that and ears for that and a discernment for that, to kind of get a sense of what God wants to do with your life and to flow with that and not, not try to go upstream against it all the time, wearing ourselves out. Like, it's so much easier to say, Lord, what you want in this situation? I said, okay, amen, we'll go with that. I'm following you, Lord. And that's where discipleship gets really good, by the way. And so as we go through these things, the book of Proverbs, it has something for every area of our life. And as we go through these, some of them are going to be for you today and others are, are are not, but, but your spirit's going to store them up for the day that they are for you and will bring it back to your mind. Anybody ever experienced that? Amen. God will use them when they need to be used in the way they need to be used. So it's good that we're here. It's good that we're studying this together because we are storing up treasures that are going to be uh, used at the perfect time. And so as we go into verse 14, notice here, I want to kind of talk about empty communication because if you remember we talked about biblical communication and biblical conflict resolution in the earlier verses y'all remember that so this is kind of like empty communication what is it well right off the bat whoever falsely boasts of giving meaning they didn't give but they're trying to look like they gave or act like they gave or they're saying that they gave or maybe they're saying they gave a certain amount but they actually didn't and he says he compares it to clouds and wind without rain um, that's hard for us to maybe grasp in, in farm country when you're looking at your plants. Like y'all drive around here and you see stuff. I think this year was mostly tobacco. And tobacco can look rough when it ain't had no water on it. You know, the leaves, they, they're, they're, they're not the darker green. They get that real light green and then some yellow spots. And then you can even see where the pests are, are, not, are eating at them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it looks really bad, you know. But if you, if you were living off of what you were planting and it was dry and struggling and then you saw a cloud, <laughs> that changes everything. It's almost like, man, I'm, you know, Lord, we need this to happen because I'm about to lose 30% of my crop. And, you know, that's a huge thing for a farmer because then you lose 30% of your crop. Then the whole year was just for you to pay the creditor. That's all you made. You made enough to pay the bank, but you didn't make enough to profit on. I, I hate to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to kind of get you to understand. It's, it's something to see a cloud in the air that's going to save your livelihood only for there to be no rain at all in it. It's useless. And not only is it useless, it kind of breaks your hope. 
Um, so part of this is when somebody maybe promises to give or they, they, they in front of people, but they don't actually follow through with it. And they get people's hopes up, but they don't actually do anything. And the world is kind of like that because what we see in the world today is people will, um, they want to give to get their name on something. They want their name on the list. They want to be a donor and look like they're generous, generous people, but it's for the wrong motive and Jesus even talked about this when it came to the Pharisees. They would want everybody to see them give alms to the poor, but also for the wrong motives. So it carries no, no weight to it. Okay, so the nature of the boasting here in the verse, though, is to lift up self and gain attention and prestige and to have people amazed by your generosity, but actually not be a given at all. It's, it's, it's all a lie. You know, Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Who can find someone that's actually following through with what they promise to do? You know, in the book of Acts, the book of Acts um, talks about Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. I won't spend a lot of time there. It's, it's actually amazing. I actually read it in the first, in the first, uh, in the first uh, service. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. How many don't know what I'm talking about? Okay, let's turn there. We're only as strong as the person, you know, everybody needs to know the word and get on the same level. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, Acts is to the right, by the way. Um, it's, it's after the Gospels. It's kind of the history of the church, the early church. And thank you for being honest, the few of you that raised your hand. I like that. We'll learn together. Um. Now, in Acts chapter 5, what we have is the church, the church has just begun, okay? It's, it's still a new church. And what we find back in chapter 2 where the church actually is birthed is that because so many people got saved so fast, they didn't go back home where they came from to Jerusalem for the feast. So many of them stayed there because they just got saved and realized Jesus was Lord and he was, and he was Messiah and they don't want to leave. They want to stay where the apostles are and get the word. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, the church is brand new. There was no way for them to get the word if they had went back home to wherever they came from. So they didn't leave. They camped out in Jerusalem. Because of that, there were a lot of needs that the church had. And so the church began to sell stuff and, to the, and give it the money and the proceeds to the apostles so the apostles could take care of the people that were in need. In Acts chapter 6, we actually see the widows who needed um, to be taken care of. And they had to raise up the first deacons to help with that. But in chapter 5, notice it says, but a certain, verse 1, man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Probably maybe land, whatever the case may be. Maybe it wasn't land. Maybe they sold a chariot. They weren't going home anyway. Who knows? All right. And it says, and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it, so the two of them are together. They, they went on to lie is what we're going to get into. <laughs> um, his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they sold it for this much. They brought a part of it and gave it to the church. Y'all catch it? But the illusion of the verses is they tried to act like they gave the whole thing. You know, all right. So it says, and um, they brought a part to it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And they probably did it when everybody was standing around. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit is, is giving Peter either word of knowledge or discernment into the situation or both to understand that, wait, they're lying. 
They're not given, you know, whatever the case is, to fill your heart, to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back part of the price, here it is, of the land for yourself. Verse 4 is key. While it remained, was it not your own? In other words, Peter's not angry that he only gave a part to the church. Peter's not angry at all, to be honest with you. Peter's saying, it was yours. Do what you want to do with. You don't, you don't owe nobody anything. You are free to give or you are free to not give. <laughs> okay, that's the illusion here. He says, while it remained, in your, it wasn't it your own? And after it was sold, was it not your, in your own control? In other words, what you made on it, that was your money. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God, because really our giving is between us and God. So then Ananias, hearing these, these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came on all those who heard these things, which is the whole point of why, why the Lord is doing this. I'm going to share that with you in a moment. Verse 6, the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. All right, verse 7. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, because, you know, she was, I shouldn't say that. She was out shopping with the, some of the proceeds. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, ladies, forgive me, not, not knowing what had happened. And Peter, Peter answered her. He said, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. You know, is this the price you sold it for? And she said, yes, for so much. She agreed. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Now, this, I feel bad for these guys. They tired. They were there at the church trying to worship. They had to go bury him. They just getting back. Now they got to go bury her. And that's what it says in verse 10. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and had to carry her out and bury her right beside her husband. Verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Why is it important that great fear came upon all? Because all realize that the church was so important to the Lord that we need to be honest about what's going on and not lie in the midst of it. Now, here's the crazy thing. Check it out. When you get to heaven, you can probably talk to Ananiah and Sapphira about this situation because I don't believe that they, they, they didn't. Well, I know that they didn't lose their salvation because they lied. But what they did do was they were setting a precedent in the early church that it was okay to do so. And the Lord dealt with it swiftly in order to set a precedent that it's not. Just be honest with me. I don't want you trying to puff yourself up through, through this uh, perceived giving that's not going on. And this is what he said. And this is, by the way, what religious people do. Religious people puff themselves up. They try to look like they're more than they're something in the midst of the congregation. And we all messed up. And in fact, when you get to heaven, you ain't even going to want to ask Ananias and Sapphira about why they did this. Because when you get there and realize that, man, it's only by the grace of Christ that I got here, you ain't going to ask nobody about nothing. Because we're all going to be looking around like, man, you know what? No, none of us are supposed to be here. You know, hey, I heard about you in the, in the Gospels, man. I'm so glad you made it, you know, because <laughs> you gave me hope that I could make it, you know. Um, imagine, imagine, and everybody talks about when they get to heaven, they want to ask Peter about cursing out the little girl and denying Christ and cutting ears off and stuff. But you ain't going to ask Peter nothing when you get there. Because you're going to look at Peter and be like, man, Peter, I understand, man, but we're here. We made it. But the Lord, at the beginning of the church, was setting a precedent that was different. Now, he doesn't do this to this extreme in the, in the way we see things happen today, praise God. Um, but the reality is, this is how he feels about it. He wants us to be honest and truthful in the house of the Lord. And so back over in Proverbs... 
where it says here, you know, in, in verse 14, whoever falsely boasts is like clouds of wind without rain, meaning puffed up, full of hot air, nothing else. You know, and so that's what he's saying. And so we should be honest about our giving. Definitely we should be honest about our giving when it comes to the Lord. Because the Lord is the one who you're in communication about it. And the Lord is the one who gives wisdom, especially if you are a giver. Giving, whether you're being generous to people in need or whether it's something that you're giving to the house of the Lord. The Lord is the one that you have that conversation with. And the Lord is the one that gives wisdom along with it. All right, verse 15. Y'all doing all right? All right, verse 15 says, listen, it says, by long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Now, I want to give you this in the NIV really quick. The NIV says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. So through patience, it says, or forbearance, but the same thing. Um, and then remember, Solomon is a ruler and he's the one writing it from his perspective, but giving insight to his children. And I think that is something that we need to listen for and take, take this to heart because the thing that we struggle with is patience and self-control. And what the Bible is alluding to here is through self-control and patience, you can actually have a greater impact and influence on persuading something to go your way than when you try to manipulate the situation yourself and make it happen. And as a disciple, God is trying to teach us not to be that way, but to trust in him. Everybody understand what I'm saying? So when you are tempted to want to manipulate situations, try to draw attention to yourself, and you start spending time doing that, and you know, you know it doesn't even feel, you feel icky doing it. You feel like you need to take a bath because you're wrong and you know you're wrong, but you desire this thing to go a certain way so much that you compromise yourself to get it done. God is like, no, I don't want you conducting yourself like that because you're the representing me. And everybody's watching you because you represent me. So it's better, and this is what I've learned, it's better to settle in and do the right thing consistently over time, knowing that the Lord is the one watching. And in the right time, it's the Lord that's going to cause the promotion to happen or the thing to change or a situation to maybe move in your favor. And when that happens, you really can praise him because you know you did it. Because when you manipulated to get it yourself, you don't even really feel like it's yours when you get it. And you're always watching your back because you don't know when it ain't gonna go, it's going to go wrong. But when the Lord secures it for you, you praise God and you know it came from him. And I know that. I did that happened many times to me when I was at First Citizens Bank working during the day or wherever you may be, what you're doing, how you're working. These are things that we need to remember. It's the Lord that promotes. The Bible says, exalt your, uh, it says, uh, humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord. He will exalt you or he will lift you up in due time. We know these verses. And then likewise, it says, a gentle tongue breaks a bone. That makes no sense. That's a contrast. He's talking about the power of a gentle word from a patient believer who's waiting on and trusting the Lord. And so that person that's going to be faithful at what they're called to do until the Lord brings about change. There's power in that because now I know God is the one that's going to do it. So So the patient, gentle words of a wise man or a wise woman can have a great impact um, and and, 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 and a a lasting impact. And so when things aren't seeming to go your way and we have the temptation to want to act out of character as a believer, listen, don't hold back whether it's wisdom or your work or your service to wherever you call to be because you think you can't make a difference. Um, uh, or, or your life is not going to make an impact in others. Um, sometimes, especially, look, look, if the person has a position of authority over you, 
it may take a while for your words to have an impact because, uh, you know, as leaders, leaders need to be able to see it for themselves. They need to be able to analyze and pray through things a lot of times. And, and you want to push them. But sometimes, you know, let the Lord do it. The Lord, when the Lord moves somebody's heart, the Lord does it and it's and is done for you. Amen. All right. So verse that's verse 15. Let's be careful to remember that verse 16, verse 16, another one that speaks of self-control. Notice it says, have you found honey? Yes. Honey is used as an illustration of a delicacy, something that everyone loved, probably the sweetest thing that they had during that time, but it was not in abundance. And so obviously Solomon is teaching his children to have self-control, not to overindulge, but to use moderation in everything. Notice he says it again. If he says, have you found honey? Eat only as, uh, eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. I like that. He says, eat as much as you need. He didn't say eat a little bit, but he said eat as much as you need, but don't overdo it. Y'all catch that? Man, that's another struggle we have. I don't, I don't care what the thing is that you like to overindulge in, whether it's ice cream, Snicker bar, whatever the case may be, you know what it is. Um, whatever that overindulgence is, when you, take, when, you, when you allow your flesh to have its way, you take in too much of it. And here he says, unless you want to vomit, you fill with it and you vomit. What I have found is that anything you overindulge in that the flesh loves makes you feel horrible at the end of it. And, and by the way, that, that's the same with every type of sin, not just eating stuff. It doesn't matter whether it is. Whether it's alcohol or sex or anything, binge watching entertainment, and then you got it take, takes three weeks of studying the word to wash all that out, you know? <laughs> whatever the case may be, um, whatever you overindulge in with your flesh ends up, if you will, having an adverse effect on your life because your life is tied up in your soul and you have a spirit that's given to you by God. And so your flesh is not to be the driving force in your triune being. Everybody understand what I'm saying? You are, you are body, soul, and spirit. Your soul is your life. Your spirit connects you with God. Your flesh is a vehicle. That's all it is. Just like, just like you're, you know, if, if, if you, if you, if you're living in the back country, you need a four-wheel drive that's got a good solid engine to it. It's a, it's, a, it's a vehicle. You wash the vehicle. Y'all take showers. I'm, it's, I'm trying to make an analogy, right? You wash the vehicle. You keep airing the tires. You make sure you got some, some, some meat on the brake pads. Y'all understand what I'm saying? You keep the vehicle maintenance so that it can perform its duty. All right? So you eat the right things in moderation. You keep the thing exercised and, and you take your vitamins, okay? Because it's a vehicle that you need to interact with this world, but it is not your life. Praise God, it's not your life. Because when it ends, you still got life. When the body's done, you still got life. That's a good thing. Um, so we, we need to learn how not to overindulge in anything because when the flesh gets filled to the point of having its full of anything, it becomes very sluggish. It makes you very sluggish. It weighs you down more. I'm not talking about in just gaining weight. I'm talking about in, in the sluggish feeling and inability to serve God and to think clearly. I believe the Holy Spirit has given us insight into one of the keys of spiritual strength, in my opinion. And you can, it's, look, if you can learn to use self-control in all things, you can learn to govern your flesh and get it out of the way. James says this in chapter 1, verse 26. It says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue 
but deceive, you know, he deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. So he's saying, look, if you can't even bridle your tongue, if you haven't learned to do that, you're, you're kind of useless. Like, are you, what, the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for what's coming out of my mouth. We've learned that before, ain't right? Oh, I, so you mean to tell me I've got to learn in the spirit to check myself when I want to say something that I know I shouldn't say, but in anger, I want to say it because the person got me to that point of anger, but the Holy Spirit is saying, but even though you're angry, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, and you say it. (laughs) You didn't listen to the Spirit. You say it anyway, and now you're at war with your spouse or a family member or a friend. It takes a lot of time and causes you more problems than you wanted to have. James 3.2 says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone doesn't stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. In other words, he's saying if you learn how to guard your tongue, you know, that's, that's maturity. Galatians 5.16 says, I say, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, so as I yield to the Holy Spirit, I can subdue the flesh and walk in the spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, if you live in the spirit, he says, let us also walk in the spirit. All of those things which I've shared with you before are indications of, of, of how we can begin to kind of put our body in the proper place. It's a tool that I use to live life on earth. That's what the body is. And one of the the ways that I think that you can learn to exercise self-control is through fasting, fasting and praying, fasting and praying, fasting and praying. It's like the, you know, uh, whatever that crazy workout stuff I see the people up here doing, running back and forth and carrying stuff. What's that stuff they do now? I don't know. CrossFit, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is spiritual CrossFit, fasting and praying, fasting and praying. You teach the flesh to, have to, to stay in its place. You'll let it know when you need it, you know, and, and then you, you, you become more sensitive to the things of the Holy Spirit and then spending time in God's word so that you can actually exercise self-control, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? So in order to exercise the fruits of the spirit. I need to learn to walk in the spirit, but the flesh is in the way. It's always in the way because it wants to do something else. It always wants to do the opposite of what you, what you deep down desire to do in the Lord. And then as soon as you want to do something in the Lord, the flesh is hungry, the flesh is sleepy, the flesh, you know, you know, your mind is going play good things that you forgot to do. Come back to your memory when you want to spend time with the Lord. And so anyway, Self-indulgence, over uh, extending yourself, have self-control. So, um, yeah, so anyone found honey, eat as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. And I like the fact he says eat as much as you need because God does want us to enjoy the earth. When I read the Gospels, Jesus enjoyed sitting down with his disciples and having a meal, didn't he? And they had a wonderful time. All right, let's move on. Verse 17, the one y'all got hung up on a few minutes ago. It starts out with seldom. I would underline that for, for some of you. Some of you may struggle in this area. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. And it goes from love to hate real quick. Um, you know, one of the things I, I would encourage you, because look, some, some of you in the room have troubles with neighbors, as I heard you laughing earlier. Some of you in the room are the neighbor who is the trouble. <laughs> And I know they're both in here. Um, You know, listen, here's the thing about your neighbor. Your neighbor may say, they may say 
it's okay for you to come on over anytime. But trust me, it's going to get old to them. In fact, listen, for the sake of being nice, they may say the opposite of what they really feel. Hey, you're welcome anytime. Doors always open. Anything. You just, just stop by whenever you want. You know, people say these kind of things because they have a hard time, you know, really saying the truth. Or, or people are just so silly that they want to say nice things. They get caught up in the moment. And the reality is you've got to use wisdom and Solomon is trying to give it to us. Because even if they believe in their heart that it's okay for you to come over anytime, Solomon is saying that if you actually follow through with what they're saying to you, you're going to create an enemy. Because after a while, as great as you are, as great as all of you are, after a while, they can get tired of seeing you. I get tired of seeing myself sometimes. I don't like listen, Yeah, you know, and, and they, would, they would sometimes play um, at home my teaching. And I'm like, I don't want to hear myself, you know, don't do that. You know, I go outside. The thing is, we need to know and understand that it's, 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 it's great to be a good neighbor. And spend time with your neighbors. I mean, maybe you get caught up, you know, you're fellowshipping and things are really, really good. And you're like, man, this is a great relationship we have. And uh, we can't, can't wait to hang out again and, and whatnot. But you need to use wisdom to say, hey, let me, let me let that memory be there and enjoy that memory, but not go back over tomorrow. You know, because it, the reality is eventually what you're going to do is drive your neighbors to trying to hide from you. <laughs> so they're going to go outside and get the mail in the middle of the night. You be in your house and you'll hear them rolling their trash can down, down the lawn at 10 o'clock at night. Why? Because that's the only time they can hide from you. You know, um, you know they're sneaking around. You don't, look, if you see your neighbors outside in their house coat and house shoes, getting the mail, picking up the newspaper, that's not an invitation for you to keep them out there for 30, 45 minutes. They didn't dress to be out there for 45 minutes. Why did you stand there? You know, and then some, look, it, it gets really bad because some people are so bad at it, you, it and I hope it's not you. But you're the kind of neighbor that's always looking out the window. So you know when they go out. And as soon as they go out, there you go. They're cleaning out the garage now so they can park the car back in the garage so you can't see them trying to leave. Because they have to hide from you because you become the neighbor who's seldom, uh, excuse me, who's frequently on their property. You know, and, and, it, and it, becomes a, it becomes a problem. Um, you know, and, 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 and so the Bible is saying, hey, don't, don't do that frequently. Seldom, in fact, be in your, your neighbor's house, lest they get weary of you and they, they begin to hate you. And, uh, and this is something that I would pray that all of you would take to heart. Let the, let the book of Proverbs teach you a lesson. Don't look out the windows. Mind your business. You know, don't be, don't be doing that. And don't, you know, worry about what's going on down the street. You know, it's, you don't need to know. You don't need to be the neighbor that every time the Amazon truck arrives at your neighbor's house, you looking to see what side the box is, and then you text them and let them know they got something. They already know they got something. They probably got a camera on the front door. They don't need to hear from you about the fact that the Amazon man just left. You know, this is the kind of stuff that makes neighborhoods hard. You know, you're already dealing with the homeowners association, and they, you know how they can be. And if you're one of those, it's even worse. Yeah, so, yeah, be a good neighbor. All right, verse, verse 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a, and a sharp arrow. And it's very interesting. A club, a sword, a sharp arrow all speak of, of weapons that are going to strike and hurt and cause harm. 
Um, and, and so that's what he's kind of getting at. It's one of the most difficult things to deal with is betrayal. When someone just straight lies on you, false witness. Um, and then and the reason it hurts so bad is because what, what defense do you actually have? Is they're making up a complete lie, and that's one of the hardest things there is to defend against at that point. And so what the, what the scripture teaches us to do as, as disciples is, well, when that's happening, obviously a liar is a son of Satan to begin with. So then, okay, so then that lie is coming against you. You then have to go to the Lord. You have to take it to him. You don't defend yourself. You got to let the Lord work it out because you're going to, you, what it is, is the enemy trying to draw you out into a long, drawn out, bitter conflict. And you can rise above it by saying, hey, I'm going to get this to the Lord and I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. If you've been doing what you're supposed to do to begin with. And, and so we got to be careful with these things. Unfortunately, it does happen. One of the things I would encourage you, because it's speaking of a neighbor here. Now, remember, Jesus says your neighbor is whoever you're around. So I used the neighborhood analogy earlier because Solomon said step foot in your house. But the reality is the same thing applies to just general fellowship as I back up a little bit. So if you are always in your neighbor's business, like some, maybe two people in here, it's the same thing, you know, stay out of folks' business. And so here, this false witness, one of the things I would say that you can do to combat this, um, 1 Thessalonians kind of gives us an indication, chapter 5, verse 21 through 23 says, test all things, hold on to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. I like the King James here. The King James says, abstain from all appearance of evil. So one of the things I would encourage you to do, and we have to be wise as disciples, listen, is abstain from anything that might even look like you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, even if you ain't doing nothing wrong. And I know that's, that almost feels like, well, why, why does that puts a lot of extra work on me as a believer? But it does. As a believer, I have to conduct myself in such a way that it doesn't even look like I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. Does that make sense, everybody? Give an example. Let's go back to the neighborhood again. Listen, if, if your neighbor's husband ain't home, you don't need to go over there for anything. If ladies, if your if your if your neighbor's wife ain't home, you have no reason to be over there for anything. Does that make sense? Even if it wasn't anything bad, you know, hey, I was just going over to deliver to so and so. We'll deliver it and return it when the other person is home. You know, you see the car ain't in the in the yard yet. You know, gents, your 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 neighbor is not home, and you returning his whatever you borrowed from him. When you borrowed it from him, return it to him. Don't go over why he ain't there. Does that make sense? Because I just told you why. Because your other nosy neighbor down the street <laughs> saw you go over there to return it, but his pickup truck wasn't there. And you didn't come out immediately because she asked you to do something while you were there. Pick this up for me. Can you lift this or whatever the case may be? So it was a little delay, but it wasn't nothing wrong. But it could appear to the wrong person to be wrong. So I, I ain't going to return it to, to he's home. As an example, okay, so that you, you put yourself always in a good light and you don't give the enemy anything that they can then use against you. Because I think some accusations can be avoided if we would be mindful of what it looks like as we're conducting our lives in the Lord as believers. Amen. And then, and then mind your business. If you're the person looking out the window, stop looking out the window. <laughs> I, had to, I had to keep putting that on because I know some of you do that. Don't worry about you. Don't worry about what's going on. It ain't in your driveway. You don't need to be worrying about it. All right. That is, um, that's verse 18, verse 19. Y'all doing all right? <laughs> We're actually going to finish the chapter. Let me pick it up the pace. Um, 
This one, listen, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Now, I don't know about you, but a bad tooth, a sore tooth, that's the worst. Oh, my goodness. If you could just find I me. Mean, a, tooth, a tooth can get so bad that I'm like, look, just punch me in the jaw and knock it out. Do something to me because the pain is just nagging. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, my Lord. I don't like the dentist, but he becomes my best friend when he pulls that thing out and shoots something in there first. You know, thank you. Praise God for the dentist at that point. Or a foot out of joint. You know, we don't even think about our big toe until it's hurt and you can't walk. These things, it's a nagging trouble. And so he's saying, listen, look at the verse. When you put confidence in somebody unfaithful, well, they're unfaithful. So you've placed your confidence in them, and then they're going to fail you. They're going to let you down, and it's going it, to be a very nagging, frustrating thing at that moment. Um, and the thing I would say here to add to what Solomon is saying is I believe that the Holy Spirit has given us this reminder because what we need to do is evaluate those who are around us when good times are happening, before the bad times come. Everybody understand what I'm saying? That's when we need to pay attention to the, the who we've put around us, if you will, the, the team that is a part of our life in, in every aspect of your life so that you can kind of have an indication because the Holy Spirit gives you an indication of the people that you're dealing with when you're, when you're spending time with them so that you're not putting confidence in the wrong person in a crucial moment. I think that's what the Lord is saying to us, use wisdom. Because, you know, there are going to be times of testing. You know, the Bible says lay hand on no man suddenly as it relates to... Um, you know, even picking leadership within church, that's something that takes time to evaluate and watch. Um, and then likewise, if you're picking a spouse or even just if you're hanging out with people, you know, spending time, you know, parents, who you let your children spend time with, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I won't spend too much time on it here, but I say evaluate in good times. Ask the Lord to give you wisdom so you ain't relying on an unfaithful person when the times of trouble come. All right, verse 20. Verse 20 through 20, we're going to try to wrap this up. 28, because I'm going to pick up my pace. I keep saying that. Y'all give me a few minutes. Verse 20 says, like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Now, when it's cold and somebody has taken your garment, that's not a good feeling. You know, you ain't got your coat. Somebody grabbed your coat, you know, and you at the, you know, and it was cold. Or here he says like vinegar on soda. That's one that doesn't like strike the ear for us really well. But what most scholars believe is being spoken of here is an alkaline type solution. Um, it was acidic enough to be a very good cleaning product. But when you mix vinegar with it, it dilutes it and it causes it to be useless for that same product. It no longer cleans as well anymore. Everybody with me? Ladies, you understand maybe you got a really good cleaning product, but you diluted it too much and it's not doing its job. And that's kind of what he's alluding to there. It's useless. You know, I don't have my garment. It's cold. So what he's saying here is somebody who has a heavy heart, somebody that's going through something, and all you have for them is cliches. You know, um... You, you, I'll get into this, James chapter 2, verse 14. It says, what is the prophet, my brother? And I'm going to come back to this. If someone says to you, someone says, 
he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? And he says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one comes saying, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but does not give them the things which they need for the body, what does it profit? You know, these cliche things when somebody is going through something is such a um, useless phrase. And I think what Solomon is doing here is to his children is giving them, and now we get to glean from it, a sense of, hey, I want to be a little bit more responsible as a brother or even if as a sister in how I interact with those who are in the body of Christ who may be going through something or may have a heavy heart. Does everybody understand where I'm going with this? Because um, it's so easy for us to just say something. I would even say if you have no intention of really providing some heartfelt ministry towards them, say nothing. Stay out the way. And I remember, um, you know, early in the year when what we went through, I guess the end of last year, almost a year ago, you know, some of the most blessed encounters were, you know, when people would just hug or just sit. They didn't have to say a word. Maybe just listen and pray. But hugs and prayer, wonderful. You know what I'm saying? And little things. I would say that the, script, the Spirit now is just indicating to us, hey, well, pray about how to be what a person needs when they need it. Because a lot of these little cliches we have. And, and you know, even just saying verses, quoting verses, man, look, I know absent from the body is present with the Lord. I absolutely do know that. And, you know, and it's great. We're going to say it at the memorial service, at the funeral. We're going to say those things. But ask God, Lord, I don't know how to be right now for this person. I have no clue what to say. You know, because we don't, do we? It's hard. Some of you are very gifted at it. Like some of you have the gift of exhortation and comfort and all that kind of stuff. And it's your ministry. Others, others of us don't necessarily have it. And we're, we're often very awkward with one another. Anybody feel awkward sometimes? So this is an area where it takes prayer to know what to do. We have a very loving congregation. So it, for the most part, it, it works really well. But man, you know, the verse is saying there is something that the person may need. And, it, and it's especially if, if they're in church all the time, you fellowship with them all the time, or even if they don't, what they probably don't need at the moment is a sermon. They might just need an arm around them or just somebody to hang. You know, it, you know, it's something about because we weren't created to be alone. We were created for fellowship. You know, God created us because he wanted fellowship. He wanted us to be with him. So, so in a sense, learning how to be there for someone through prayer is what we need to seek here. Um, so I'll just leave it at that for, for right now. Um, and then verse 21 picks up on it. If your enemy, he says here, this even goes worse. If your enemy is hungry. Give him bread to eat. Um, if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Um, verse 22 goes with it for, so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. Now, if he was talking about a brother, it would be better. That would make sense because I want to be there for my brother. How many of you want to be there for your brother or your sister in the Lord? Amen. Some of you don't. Raise your hand again. That's horrible. <laughs> I just said we're a loving congregation. I got five hands up in there. Oh, y'all writing? Yeah, she's trying to give y'all an excuse. (laughs) 
you know, First John 3.17 says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his, his heart from him, how can the love of God actually abide in him? So he's saying, look, if you see your brother in need and won't do anything, then you know you don't have the love of God in you. Okay, that's one thing. That's fellowship. But then from really a being who we're supposed to be as a church um, standpoint, he says here, if your enemy is hungry or your enemy is thirsty, think about the person that you perceive as your enemy. You don't want to help your enemy. But what God says is, hey, listen, when you do this to your enemy, you are now working for me. Yes, this enemy has come against you. This enemy is mistreating you. This enemy has targeted you. But if you let me work in you, if you do this, respond in love, you're now, how do I say he's, we're working for him? Because it says, and the Lord will reward you. He's rewarding us. Why? Because we are now representing him in a very strict contrast. Okay. See, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Um, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. We know what Jesus said about us. So that when we act in this way, we're contrary now to the world. And it says here, so, for so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now this is quoted in the New Testament. Um, and it's quoted in the New Testament in a different, it, it's pretty much a quote, but, you know, Paul is writing it to the church of Romans using this same context. And the reality is some people try to say, well, what it's saying is that you're actually, if you will, showing them something. They use this story about when the neighbor would go and borrow hot coal from his neighbor to get his fire going. They would give it to him and he would carry it back home in a pot on his head and it would warm him. And, and, and that's what I hear a lot of people say. The reality though is I think it means exactly what it sounds like. In fact, um, Solomon probably be picking up from this from David who wrote in Psalm 140. It says, do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked schemes, lest they be exalted. Selah. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let the burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into the deep pits that they rise not again. David prayed that his enemies would be destroyed. Didn't he do that all the time? But however, God is saying to us as believers, no, love them. And in doing so, you've, you've struck such a strict contrast that God can now work. Their heart is now ripped open by what you just did, which caught them off guard. Now the Lord can do something to work in their heart, possibly bringing them to salvation because we know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so God is saying, hey, when your enemy attacks you or if your enemy is, is, in, is in need and you know it's your enemy and you love them anyway, that's going to leave them wondering. And for the first time, God is going to be able to then work in that and he will reward you and, because it's hard to help your enemy. So you're not going to get satisfaction from it yourself, but the Lord will reward you. Because what you want to do is punch your enemy in the teeth. That's what it feels like. That's what I prefer to do. God says, no, love them and let me punch them in the teeth, basically. <laughs> he didn't say that, but he's trying to win them. He's trying to win them. All right, we got to pick up the pace. Um, verse 23. Verse 23 says, uh, here, the north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. Just a contrast. Just like rain comes from the north winds, a backbiting tongue is going to create an angry countenance. The Bible says that a soft answer turns away wrath. So Solomon, the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible, used all of these authors, including Solomon, is just trying to remind us that how we respond, how we speak, 
um, can a lot of times create the situation we're trying to accomplish or the one that we want. Remember back in chapter 18 where it says death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, you're creating kind of the environment that you want to live in. You want a mean, nasty spouse, then talk mean and nasty to them. You want a loving, caring spouse, then love them with your words. Verse 24 says, it is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And the last few times we saw this, I beat up on the guys because I said to them, I reminded you guys that your wife was not contentious when you married her or you wouldn't have said I do. So she's become contentious under your leadership if she's contentious. However, ladies, and you're believers as well, that doesn't give you the right to be contentious, no matter what his leadership is right. Because then you just basically doing wrong for wrong and what you're not doing is allowing the Lord to work the way he said he was going to work. And just like you should clothe and feed your enemy, Peter says that a wife without a word can win her husband through her conduct, character, how she conducts herself for the Lord. And as a way, ladies, that you can, can bring about change in your husband through the way you're ministering to him, allowing the Lord to use you. And to, to remember, your words don't make it better. Usually it makes it worse. Okay? Because you all communicate way more than we do anyway. So you can remind us 50 times real quick why we're wrong in a whole bunch of different ways and we can't even keep up with it, but it's not accomplishing anything. It's actually pushing us further in the wrong direction because you, 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 you know, that's not how the Holy Spirit wants you to operate. What he wants you to do is settle down, use fewer words, and the way you conduct yourself will get through to him. He'll see it and it may take time because nothing changes overnight. Everybody understand? And ladies, it's nothing wrong with the fact that you communicate a lot. That's how you were created. You're created to see everything and be able to communicate everything because we need that type of help in our lives. Okay? So you were given superpowers for a good purpose. But don't use your superpowers to tear your house down. That's all I'm saying. So you have to then say, okay, Lord, teach me when and how to speak to your husband. My husband, say that if he's you, so that. Lord, my words will not get in your way of getting to his heart. Lord, let my words not get in your way is a prayer you can pray, ladies. Teach me how to communicate with him in such a way to where I'm not becoming um, a block for what you're trying to accomplish in his life. And then you have to trust the Lord to be able to get through because, you know, God created us a certain way. And it takes the Lord to break, break us down because we can be hard-headed, knuckle-headed. We're strong for a reason. Um, prayerfully, ladies, you have a husband who's strong. Um, and so because of that dynamic, um, the words, they, they frustrate us sometimes. But the Holy Spirit has a way of getting us. Amen, gents? Amen. All right, I didn't want to beat up on you all today. So, all right, verse 25. We're almost done, y'all. Verse 25 says, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. We know that good news is a blessing. Verse 26, a righteous man who falters. This is one I want you to see this one. A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. Okay, a righteous man, meaning a man who, who, is, who believes in God. We've already gone through that many times. So a believer who then falters, compromises, fails to, to stand boldly for the Lord in front of unrighteous, wicked people. He compares it to a, to a murky spring. When you think about a spring, I'm thinking about fresh water. 
Murky means there's, there's mud in the water. You can't drink it. You got to filter it. Okay. You, you ever been somewhere where you're really thirsty and you get to the place where there's usually clean and fresh water and then it's all muddied up. You can't drink it. Um, or, or a polluted well, if you will. The well is now being uh, tainted with something that causes it not to be drinkable. You, follow, you catch that? And, and it says when, when that happens, it's the same way when a righteous man or woman falters before the wicked. So one of the prayers I would have for you today and for me as well in the places that we go this week, the people that we interact with who know that we're believers, who often want to put us on the spot just to mock God, my prayer is that you won't falter. I pray when y'all go out to lunch at work this week, you know, how you coworkers, you go out to work sometime and stuff comes up that they're talking about and they look at you because you're the believer and they try to put you on the spot. I pray that you won't falter. I pray that you will hold your ground for the Lord and that the Lord will give you what to say or how to conduct yourself. Verse 27, it is not good to eat much honey. So to seek one's own glory is not good. You know, as believers, we're always seeking to glory, the glory of the Lord and to, and to glorify the Lord with our lives. And so whenever we seek our own glory, we are in trouble. There's usually three reasons a man falls, a believer, a believing man. He's mismanaged money. He's touched a woman and who wasn't his inappropriately, or he touched the glory of God. Those are the main, the, the three reasons why men usually fall. The glory belongs to God. I want to stay out of the way. My life should point to him. Uh, it's not pointing to how great I am. And, and, and that's for all of us. Amen. Because we ain't great, by the way. Verse 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. It's like a city in ruins with no protective walls left. And that's what it looks like when a believer has no rule over his own spirit. And we've talked about self-control today in this, this, this section of scripture. And the fact that we need to yield to the Holy Spirit. And we need to, we have responsibility as believers to exercise self-control within our lives, yielding to God in all kinds of ways. And when we don't, he's saying we look like something that used to be something, but now is in ruins and we don't want to go there. So with all of those things that we've gleaned from out of this section, let's bow our heads and let's pray over it. Father, I pray that, Lord, these things that you've given us, that you would use it however you like, Lord. We uh, raise your hand if you agree with that. And, Lord, you said we're two or three, and they touch and agree, Lord God, you would be there. And, Lord, we, we ask and agree that, Lord, you would have your way in our lives Raise your hand if you agree with that. Yeah, man, there's a few of you. That you would have your way with our lives, Lord God, that we would be able to exercise spiritual restraint and self-control as led by you, Lord God. And that all of these things that we've learned today, Lord, we would be sensitive to your leading as these things are appropriate to be applied in our lives. I pray that you would go before us this week, protect us and keep us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.